0: Chapter 16 of The Blue Envelope. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording today by Don Larson in Minnesota. The Blue Envelope by Roy J. Snell. Chapter 16 A Fortunate Discovery as fy and his dog reached the top of the cliff and were about to step upon the uneven snow-covered tableland which lay before them the boy's eyes chanced to light upon a strange-looking brown mass which lay on the rock beneath the shelter of a protecting ledge what do you suppose that is he said to the dog at the same time stepping aside to examine it it's a net he commented too fine for a fish-net must be a bird-net that'd be good luck for us if it were summer place must be alive with birds then from the looks of the deserted nests but now now you're no good to us he kicked the net contemptuously tell us one thing though he confided to rover there are people on this island or at least have been natives of some kind they must be for no white man would have the patience to make a net of sealskin as fine as that question is Were they just camping here to gather eggs, or do they live here? If they live here, what kind of people are they? Well, anyway, let's go see. Wearily he dragged his tired limbs up a gentle slope. Wearily the old dog followed on. But as they reached the crest, the dog became suddenly alert. His ears cocked up, his legs stiff, he sniffed the air. What's that, old fellow, birds? You've a bit of bird-dog blood in you lots of leaders have, but I guess you're mistaken, not birds this late in the year. He moved forward a few feet, then his mouth flew open, but no sound came out. He had seen a white streak flit across the snow. He had! There was another, and another. Slowly he backed away. Followed reluctantly by the dog, he retreated to the rocky shelf where lay the net we may be able to use you yet he remarked as he picked up an end of the net if you're not too rotten you'll serve us a good turn there are ptarmigan out there don't know how many but enough if we catch them ptarmigan are good too he smiled at the dog good as quail and about as plump boy oh boy won't we feast though if only we can catch them but he sobered suddenly How I'm going to drop both ends of this net at just the right moment is more than I can tell. The net proved to be in serviceable condition. It was some ten yards by three wide, and was of a finely woven mesh. Two ten-foot poles lay farther back under the ledge. One of these was quickly attached to an end of the net. Then the net was wound upon it. The second stake was fastened to the remaining loose end. Carrying the net to a level stretch at the top of a ridge, he unrolled it, then for a full five minutes stood studying it. At last he turned thoughtfully to the right and strolled along the net. Suddenly something caught his foot and he sprawled upon the ground. Rising he looked at the thing that had tripped him, then a light of joy spread over his face. "'Creeping willows!' he exclaimed, the very thing. He spent the next three minutes pulling at long strands of creeping willows. When he had found two long strong ones, he left them still fast to the earth at one end and went for his net. One pole he set on end and proceeded to fasten it there by the aid of the creeping willows, guying it to right and left, as a flagpole is often braced. He then ran out the length of his net, and having pulled it tight with the other pole perpendicular, He gave this pole a sudden pull and twist, then threw it to the ground. The net went flat. Capital, he cried, that will do it. Having reset his net, he took a long circular route. He came up at last a hundred yards from his fence-like net. The dog had followed meekly at his heels, but now, seeming to sense what was needed, he began rocking back and forth, first to the right, then to the left. Now and then a white spot rose a foot or two above the snow to soar forward. The boy's eyes snapped. Here was sport that meant life to him and to his dog if they won. Now they neared the net, his heart beat fast. Suppose the birds should rise and soar away, then all this work would be lost. But they still ran or fluttered forward. Must be eight or ten of them, was his mental comment now they were nearing the net veering swiftly to one side the boy raced to the reclining pole lifting it lightly he drew the net into position so white were the birds that he could scarcely distinguish them from the snow but suddenly he caught a faint shock a bird in low flight had struck the net with wildly beating heart he threw the net to the snow then went racing down its length Oh, he exclaimed fairly beside himself, two, three, four. Each time he named the count he had drawn a bird from the meshes. At last he was to the end and sank down exhausted. The dog was at his side. Rover Old Top, he murmured, four of em, four beauties. We eat, Old Top, we eat. The dog's eyes rolled hungrily, but he did not offer to touch the birds. With eager, trembling fingers, the boy tore the feathers from two of the birds, then tossed to the dog the wings, legs, and back, reserving for himself the dark, rich meat of the breasts, a food fit for a king's table. He cut this off in thin strips and spread it upon the hard-packed bank of snow. The thermometer must stand at ten below. The thin strips would soon be frozen solid. They would then be almost as palatable as if they had been cooked with a meal in sight he found his mind becoming more composed his thoughts wandered back to the question of the nature of the land he had discovered little knowing what lay just before him he munched the frozen strips of flesh then strengthened and heartened he began making plans for a night on the newly discovered island a freezing wind swept across the plateau He must find shelter from this if he was to secure the sleep his tired form demanded after a search he found a rocky crevice which with the aid of some squares of snow cut from a nearby bank he converted it into a three-sided house with the open side away from the wind from the sheltered sides of the great rocks that lay tumbled about here and there he gathered moss by the armful and carrying it to his house made a thick soft bed for himself and the dog. His next thought was of a fire. He had no desire to eat more raw meat. Besides, he was not unmindful of the cheering influence of even a tiny blaze. The ground was everywhere overrun with creeping willows. These he clipped off with his hunting knife and tied in bundles. Some were dry and dead. These he kept in a separate bundle when he had an armload he carried them to a spot near the door of his house he had no matches but this did not trouble him cutting off a foot of a pole used with the net he split it in two pieces one of these halves he split again and from these smaller pieces he formed a bow and drill of an eskimo bow drill with a tough creeping willow runner for a string to his bow with dry moss for tinder He soon had first a smoke, then a blaze. Not long after this, he was turning a carefully picked and cleaned fowl over a cheerful flame. Having broiled this to a turn, he shared it with the dog, then lay down to sleep. Before the sweet oblivion of sleep quieted his aching muscles, the old haunting questions came back to him. What land? What people? There were but two questions now. The third had been temporarily solved they still had a bird for breakfast, and that there were others to be caught, he did not doubt. End of chapter 16